So here I am. Uh, it's good to see you. Hello to those of you watching online, whether you're watching this live or watching it later. Or, um, and also hello to those listening on the podcast, um, uh, because uh, our sermons are also on Apple Podcasts and other things, so you can listen to them uh, when you're driving in your car, if it's plugged in safely, and all that good stuff. Uh, but today I'm carrying on uh, from what you heard about last week. So. Um, you remember Andrew preached and talked about um, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, where we had David and Bathsheba, um, and uh, David had gone and uh, decided he was going to have Bathsheba and to sleep with her, um, and Andrew uh, did a great job of unpacking uh, what happened and of um, helping us to see um, how those in power need to have accountability and be called to account. And so today, uh, we're going to see uh, what happened next in the story and to see that God had things in hand. Um, but first, a quick question for you. Uh, just raise a hand. Have you been watching any of the Olympics at all? A few people. If you're, if you're watching the Olympics at home, uh, raise a virtual hand or stick a thumbs up or something. And uh, um, if you've been watching any of the Olympics, uh, you'll probably notice that there are some really annoying commercials that keep appearing. Uh, have you noticed that too? And some of those commercials, um, it's, it's, otherwise we wouldn't know what car to drive or what coffee to drink, so that's why the commercials are there, or so I'm told. Um, but, but in the commercials, they're talking about um, uh, the, the coaches. Have you seen that one? They're talking about the coaches and saying, you know, behind every great athlete is a great coach. Um, and uh, I know we've got some coaches um, in our congregation. We've got hockey coaches. We've got soccer coaches. If you're not coaching now, I know some of you have coached uh, at different times. Um, and uh, I think that um, I'm just going to get my notes out because then I'll say this in the right order. Yeah, so... Uh, so there's, there's that, that wonderful thing where you get the coaches in there and they, they support the athletes and they get them to where they are. Um, and the coach speaks into the athlete's life, don't they? If you're coaching a soccer team or a hockey team, you're going to be giving them pointers and kind of running alongside. Some coaches like to shout very, very loud. Anyone ever experienced a coach that likes to shout very, very loud or witnessed one? Um, it's, uh, it's quite funny. Um, unless they're shouting at me, in which case it's not. But um, so, so uh, different kinds of coaches. Um, and, but the, the thing is that if you have a coach, if you're, if you're signed up to be on a soccer team or a hockey team or, or any other kind of sport, um, you, you choose to have people, uh, coaches um, and other officials, who will help you because you want to be the best player you can be, don't you? You want to be the best player you can be, and so, uh, so you, you have coaches and you want to listen to what they say. You make sure there are people in your game who you're going to listen to, who are going to help you have your best interests at heart. And they actually know what they're talking about. But you know, not all of us like being, uh, being shouted at or cheered on from, people, um, from other people. Uh, yesterday, I was, uh, I was in Burnaby um, at the, um, uh, the lake there, and I was watching a kayaking race and canoeing. Uh, and one of the canoeing races um, 
there was uh, there's kind of a, a long dock and there are parents and other supporters were standing on the sidelines and cheering people on. Um, anyone ever done that before? Stood on the sidelines and cheered people on? And I don't know how your children uh, or, or friends react when you cheer them on. But there was this couple of, of people in a, in a, I think it was a C2 canoe, a two-person canoe, and they, they've managed to get themselves out of the boat and into the water, shall we say. And then they got themselves back out of the water into the boat and just about staying in their lane and they're carrying on. And, uh, um, and, and of course, the crowd on the side is going, come on, you got this, well done, let's go, you got this. And it got to a point where uh, the, the person at the, at the back of the canoe turned around to the crowd when she was parallel with them and said, please, can you stop cheering? Like that, really, and like, please, can you just stop cheering? Because at that moment, I guess they felt the last thing they wanted was people cheering them on. And it does depend. I know when I've gone running, uh, there's always the question, I've, I've run for charity before, and do you want your name on your t-shirt is the question they ask. Because if you have your name on your t-shirt, then people are going to cheer for you. So I've put my name on, which is David, and, uh, and, and I'm running along, and, and, or indeed, walking along because I've got tired, and someone on the side goes, go on, David, you've got this. And actually, for me, at like 20 miles into a marathon, that was a real encouragement. I was happy to have that encouragement, and that's why I put my name on there, because I was told it would be really helpful, and in fact, it was, having some random people cheering me on as I was going along. But I kind of invited that by putting my name on my T-shirt. So what's all this got to do with 2 Samuel? Some of you have already watched the first service and know where I'm going with this. Nathan was sent in chapter 12, verse 1. He was sent by the Lord to speak to David. He was sent to speak to David. Um, and the way he speaks to David, he, he must have been somebody who David trusted. A bit like a coach. Except a friend or, or, or a senior member of staff, that kind of thing. He was someone who, um, who David would listen to. God didn't send anyone to go talk to King David. He sent Nathan because he knew Nathan would be able to get through to him, because he knew he'd listen to Nathan, because they had that kind of a relationship where Nathan could say something and David would listen. And what he does is he tells a story there were two men in a certain town, one rich and poor. You heard the story already. Uh, and as we hear the story, you know, you and I would be forgiven for thinking it was a parable because we're so used to hearing the, in the gospel, Jesus talking in parables. And so we're assuming it's going to be like a parable or an Aesop's fable and it's going to be a story with a punchline and, and so on. But put yourself in David's position. You're the king and someone's coming to you and telling you a story. Uh, they do it all the time. You assume that the story you're being told is truth. You assume that, that Nathan isn't coming to tell you a story that's going to implicate you, but he's coming to tell you a story about something that's going on in the kingdom, which you as king will have to make judgment on. So that's the mindset of David as he hears this story. He's already, he's listening, and he's ready to make a kingly judgment on what he's told. And so the story comes on, and you can see as it goes on, um, David's getting quite annoyed um, because uh, instead of the traveler bringing his, his own sheep, he takes the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepares the poor man's sheep um, for the one who had come. 
It says, verse 5, David burned with anger against the man. He's right there, isn't he? He's right there in the story. His response is, surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. The man who did this must die. In that moment, David pronouncing judgment on the man in the fictitious story unwittingly is pronouncing judgment on himself. The, the guilt that he would have felt for what he'd done, because he knew he'd messed up. The guilt for what he had done uh, was being kind of taken out and given a place to, to land, as it were, in him judging this man in the story. He says he should pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. At this point, he still hasn't realized that the story's about him and so Nathan makes it really clear in verse seven. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. Now you have to read this carefully because um, you know, if we, if we see you are the man, it, you, you might think of it in a kind of a, you're the man kind of context. But it's not, you're the man in a good way. It's, you are the man. You are the man. This is what the Lord says. And so it goes on. Uh, the Lord has given some words to Nathan, um, and, he, and he effectively just has to read them out to David. I mean, can you imagine for a minute, as we uh, talk, as we do about listening to God, and how do we know God's voice, and how can we hear God, and, um, and we might spend time in prayer, and we, and we try and stop and listen to what God has to say to us. Imagine a conversation, Nathan sitting there, he's having his prayer time, um, or maybe he's, he's like me and can't pray sitting down, so he's walking, going for his walk with the dog and praying as he does. Um, I don't know if he had a dog, I'm just, you know, he, might have, he may not have had a dog, but anyway, I digress. Uh, but, he, but he's there and he's kind of having a chat with the Lord, and the Lord's saying, right, Nathan, you need to go to the king of Israel, your mate David, and you need to tell him, what he's done. Can you imagine what Nathan would have said to the Lord? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure I want to go. We don't have that conversation. Uh, but we know that Nathan heard what God said. And he went and he spoke to David and he gave some, some words. Basically, uh, a real telling off, you might call it. You have let me down. Uh, you've let everyone down. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house. I gave, I gave you all this stuff. And yet, you have let me down. And there's a warning that comes with that as we read on in verse 10. Therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. So David doesn't get the punishment that he would have given. As he judged, remember what he said? He said, the man must die because he had no pity. David doesn't get that. The Lord has pity on him, but he lives with the consequences of his actions. He lives with the consequences of his actions. 
There's a whole other conversation in here about sin and forgiveness. We'll save that for another day. Verse 13. We get, as we did earlier on in the service, we, we confess those things we've done wrong and we're reminded that God forgives us. And we get a classic uh, example of confession and absolution in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's his confession. Nathan replies, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Absolution is when we're reminded that the Lord has taken away our sin. So David had consequences, absolutely, for the actions. The Lord did not let him get away with it. But I want to, to kind of ask that question about accountability as I come into land. Nathan provided accountability to David. The Lord sent Nathan, so it wasn't Nathan's own choice. He didn't decide, hey, I'm going to go chat with King David. But there was an accountability there. The Lord would have sent Nathan because he knew that David would listen to him. And he knew that Nathan would do what he needed to do and be faithful in having the conversation. Who is Nathan to you? Which friends do you know well enough that they could hold you accountable? Who are the people who would hold you accountable if you were doing something that you shouldn't be doing? And if you're married, uh, you don't get away with this one. A lot of people who are married will say, well, yeah, my, my husband or my wife, they will keep me accountable. Um, but the truth is, whilst the husband and wife may tell each other what they think, uh, and they might like to give um, advice, um, it sometimes goes in one ear and out the other. Am I allowed to say that in a sermon? I just did. It sometimes goes in one ear and out the other. No matter how good your marriage is and how much trust you have, it is important to have some accountability outside of that context. Who's going to tell you when you cross the line? Who's going to hold you accountable? And this is stuff that we can work on in the good times. Because if we work on in the good times, who are the people who we're going to listen to? Who are going to come alongside us a bit like a, a coach does in a sports team? Who are going to come alongside us so that we can hear them? Then if something comes up, we'll have somebody uh, who we will listen to. Because if you don't sort that stuff out in the good times, and then when something comes along, you're just not going to listen. You know, one of the worst things, um, I'm sure this has happened to everyone, is when someone comes along to you and says, hey, can I give you some advice? And, 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 and you know, I could, I, I'm not going to do this because you might not give the answer, I think. But typically, if someone says, can I give you some advice, probably your immediate reaction, I know mine is, is no. Because you normally know that when someone says, can I give you some advice, it isn't something that you want to hear. And it's often coming from someone who you're not going to listen to anyway. But you have to say, you know, if you're trying to be polite, yes, you can, you can give me some advice. We need to have people who can give us the advice uh, without putting us in that situation. 
Who is Nathan for you? Now, of course, those in power need to be held accountable. There are ways we can hold people accountable um, who are in power. We have um, structures and systems in place um, in in politics, for example, where you could uh, write to your MP or your MLA or or whoever, or or the Prime Minister or the Premier, and you can kind of hold them to account for their actions. I thought it was really interesting recently, uh, just as we think about um, the context of, of Nathan. Um, if you know anything about um, what's, what's happened in the British government with, um, with the health secretary, Matt Hancock, um, he, so he was looking after the COVID stuff for, for the longest time. And then he um, is alleged to, I have to say that, don't I? He is alleged to have had an affair with someone um, who he gave a job to in his office who he knew. And, um, and there, was, uh, there was an outcry, and he was fired. But I think this is something about the time we're living in. He wasn't fired because he'd had an affair. He was fired because he was seen too close to somebody without wearing a mask who wasn't in his support bubble. I think that says something about where our ethics and values have gone as a society, albeit that's on the other side of the pond. But so he was held to account for some of his actions, but not for others. It's very easy for us to sit and point the finger at others and not look after ourselves. So I leave you with that question. Who's your coach? Who are the coaches in your life, the mentors, the people who you'll listen to? It's probably not your parents or your kids or your spouse. Who are the other people who can come alongside you? And if you haven't got those people in your life, I encourage you to think and pray about who, um, uh, uh, that God would bring those people. He would bring you some Nathans and that you might too get to be Nathan for others.